Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White. And I'm Dr. Mika Petucci. And, and this, this is, is The Science of Motherhood. Of motherhood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 41 of The Science of Motherhood. I am your co-host, Dr. Renee White. My other co-host, Dr. Mika Petucci, is off being a doula <laughs> as part of our um, mother-loving business, Fill Your Cup. So we are postpartum doulas. We have got over 16 years of experience in health and medical education because in a previous life, Mika and I were scientists. So we've got a PhD in biochemistry and we just love all things women's health. And we decided to start the Science of Motherhood podcast because we wanted to make sure that you are connected with experts and specialists and researchers in the field of women's health or whether it be pregnancy or um, birth or postpartum. And that is how we started our postpartum doula business, which we have our wonderful FYC doula village. And as part of that, we have a wonderful team. So hello to Caitlin and Georgie and Amanda and Samara and Kate. Uh, we service pretty much all of Melbourne and looking to explore to the, to the greater Melbourne suburbs as well. And I am down in Hobart. So Kate and I service the south of, of Tassie. So if you are looking for a postpartum doula, so someone to come in and help nurture you and nourish you after the birth of your baby, someone who can cook beautiful, warming and restorative postpartum specific meals, someone to fold that stack of laundry, someone to walk the dog or hold your baby while you go have a nice hot shower or a beautiful rest. We are your gals. So if you wanted to get in touch with us, you can find out about all of our offerings at ifillyourcup.com. And that also includes, we've got a beautiful one-off session. So they're called Fill My Cup Days, which we've had a couple of really beautiful people purchase them as a baby shower gift for a friend. So that entails a three-hour session with one of our FYC dollars and you get huge um, main meals, so it's three to four servings and beautiful snacks and you know, a nice warm shoulder massage or, or something like that, whatever you'd like in, in that three-hour session once Bubby arrives. So if you are keen to get one of those for your friend and be the best friend for life, head over to our website, which is ifillyourcup.com. Today, I have got a wonderful guest. She is this is her third time on the podcast we've adopted her she is our resident dietitian and also a nutritionist her name is dr stephanie perotta for all those playing at home you will probably remember her from episode 
14, where she spoke about endometriosis and plans for conception and the holistic management of that. And we then had Steph back for episode 25, where she talked us through the top five nutrients to eat during pregnancy to boost your postpartum recovery. Today, we are going we're going like a niche. We're going deep diving into a topic that I am truly obsessed about, <laughs> being the biochemist and also immunologist that I was in a previous life. Today, Steph and I are talking about microbiota and its connection with endometriosis. And what you'll hear in this interview is an overview, I guess, of, of endo and how the connection is, is playing out. But this is really new research. This is stuff that we're only just discovering. It is the tip of the iceberg. So we're still finding out about the different bacteria and dietary requirements to kind of get women back on track when they have endo. But Steph does a really beautiful, I guess, explanation of what endo is and, and how it is connected to our microbiome. So the bacteria that are in our gut and, and the populations and things like that. And of course, she always talks to us about the food. What is it that we can do to implement into our diet, into our exercise to help us with the endo and also replenishing the, the good bacteria and to get our microbiota back on track. So I hope you really enjoy this episode. As you'll hear at the end, Steph is a registered dietitian and nutritionist. She's also a research academic as well, and she's got her own private clinic, which is can be found online at the moment. She's only doing telehealth this year, but we'll be stepping into a bricks and mortar clinic next year in 2023 so you if you'd like to connect with Steph ask a few questions book in a, a quick meet and greet a 10 minute chat with her or to start working with her quite seriously whether it be to look at improved fertility options if you've got PCOS or if you think you've got endometriosis definitely contact her she is just amazing and really provides like a holistic perspective that's what I I really really like about Steph it's not just diet and it's not just this strict have this have not and you'll hear that in the interview she's so articulate about the fact that things are not black and white and the fact that we are so complex as human beings in particular women because we have a lot going on with all of our hormones and everything like that that Steph provides a service where it is curated specifically for you and your needs. It is not a thick, like a blanket brush of like, oh, this is what you should do because, you know, the textbook told me. She deep dives into every facet of your life and then she fine tunes exactly what it is that you need to get you back on track. So I highly, highly recommend booking in a meet and greet with Steph if you've got any of those health concerns and you're looking to improve your diet. So you can find her at womanlynd.com. So it's W-O-M-A-N-L-Y, N for Nelly and D for day.com. And you can book in a session with Steph. 
So without further ado, here is Dr. Stephanie Perotta. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Dr. Stephanie Perotta. Hey, Renee, how are you? Hello, everyone. (laughs) To be back, I feel. Yeah, I love these chats. I know. And we were just saying off air that you are you're vying for the top spot for most welcomed back <laughs> science of motherhood guest. Great. It's a big privilege, I think. It's so nice to be back, really. That's because we love you. Nice. I told you, we've adopted you. You're our <laughs> resident nutritionist and expert in PCOS and endometriosis. And also it helps that you're a Malteser as well because yeah. so am I. Yeah. And on that note, I just wanted to say I had another moment with a previous guest, Bernadette Lack from Core and Floor Restore, Mm -hmm. and the same thing happened. Halfway through the interview, we were talking about, I think we were talking about food or like heritage or something like that, and she said, oh, because, you know, my mum's Maltese, and I was like, you have, like, I was like, shut the front door. Seriously. (laughs) I was like, I knew there was something about you. I knew it. I just knew it. So evidently, us Maltesers, we all just congregate together and find each other. <laughs> we like to talk like food. We do like to talk about food. We like to um, talk about women's health. B yes. is a very like she's I'm not. Fam- I'm not sure if you're familiar with B, but she's a she's a midwife and um, pelvic floor kind of expert. Oh, and you know, we need. I we need midwives and to know pelvic floor stuff too man yeah and she runs these amazing um birthing classes and she just the best content on how to poo properly so and which is so practical and needed yes yes i i like just oh my god so good so yes welcome to the maltese gang (laughs) (laughs) now straight off the bat steph because you're a nutritionist I just wanted to ask you, what are you cooking lately? Are you like, what's your, we've got change of season. So what is it? Yes. It's, it's officially Mm. spring. I wanted to know what are you, what are you, what's in your repertoire at the moment? Mm. What are you loving? So winter, I, to be honest, I'm I'm personally a massive fan of slow cooking. So I was doing a lot of like dal and stews with meat or like, doing like curries but mild curries but in the slow cooker not because well I think personally the taste is so much nicer yeah you know they, it stews all day but also you just chuck everything in you don't need to worry about anything burning whilst you forget about it because you're on meetings or whatever yep. so that's what you think now I'm probably doing more kind of um baked fish like salmon yeah. or um what did we get last time like a whiting with salad on the sides rather than like mashed or steamed or like a hot cauliflower and cheese or something like that um it's kind of like a a cold side dish Mm -hmm. and then more salads what else i always do soups i grew up on soups it's like we had soup on tap so i always have soups doesn't matter what the weather is all these different veggies and um have legumes and stuff like that in it so it's also like again practical, but also really easy to get all your veg in, and they normally taste really yum. Um, what else? I'm having a lot of like for lunches. I like really like fill filling sa- um, salad sandwiches. Yep. I actually love them with like boiled egg or tuna inside. Mm-hmm. Again, simple, but like it's not really heartwarming. But um, <laughs> when, when it's you know when the weather is getting warmer, 
And then also, I probably would do this more in summer, but it's probably a very, more of a Mediterranean thing as well, is um, like a tuna or a salmon pasta. So uh-huh. I just put like olives and feta and mint. and That's like my go-to basically, to be honest, if it's like really quick. But also it's like super fresh capsicum, tomatoes, all that type of stuff. I'm actually doing something similar tonight because it's just me tonight. So I was like, oh. Well, they're like making massive, and I just feel like pasta as well. So that's what I'm making tonight. That's a great, that's a great question, actually, because I'm flying solo as well, but I have a little mini in tow. And I always find it difficult to come up with stuff that I want to eat, you know, with with a mini. Like I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh God, this is so hard. But pasta is definitely mm-hmm. my number one go-to as well because one, it's super easy to do. Like I just feel like you rub two neurons together and you've got it, like it's happening. But Eva is, she's a mine veggies mm-hmm. like in the pasta, but she's acquired a very expensive palate because wow. she likes prawns. Okay. And so there's a consistent <laughs> request for what we call prawny pasta in our house. Okay. And when I lived in Melbourne, I used to shop at Cannings Butchers. And so they're renowned for like free range and sustainable fish and seafood and things like that. And they did a really good, they are literally like a mother's dream butcher. So they did things like they got chicken thighs and they, you know, pounded them down so they were really thin so they became chicken steaks. And then there was like four or five different marinades they would consistently do and majority of them were kid-friendly, so not too spicy and not too, Mm -hmm. like, I guess, garlicky and things like Mm -hmm. that. And they were amazing because they become Mm -hmm. like almost Mm -hmm. like chicken minute steak type things, chop that up and a few like soba noodles and some veggies on the side. It was perfect. But they also did this thing where they had raw prawns, they'd already shelled them, And then they mix them in like this beautiful garlic and parsley marinade. And so all I had to do was boil pasta. I would just get like like a jar of um, passata or something like Mm. that and I would still hide vegetables. (laughs) I would like great I would like grate some zucchini and, and carrot or something into it so she could hardly see it at all. Mm-hmm. And then I would cook the prawns in it and the garlic was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> that is so good. And so yes, I asked yes. her this morning, I said, what do you want for tea? She goes, uh, prawny pasta. And I was like, mate. <laughs> for one, we don't have Cannings Butcher here and I can't find anyone who does like a pre-mixed you know, mixed kind Marinade. of garlic thing yes. for me. <laughs> And yeah, I have to yeah, peel yeah. the prawns and I'm just like, oh, God. Too much effort. Mom, I ain't got time for that. But pastas, because people think, you know, especially with endo oil pasta, it's going to make me bloat more. Yeah. And like, it's really bad for me and gluten, all this stuff. It's, it's you know, it's not something that you have every day. You know, once a week is is fine. Um, if, if gluten isn't bad either for endo um, for most people anyway. But as long as you, as, as you just said, Renee, like it's, there's the sauce is pretty filling like it's not the, the, the pasta isn't like the main ingredient in the whole plate mm. you know there's other a lot of veggies and protein in there is important and a good way to also just control blood sugar levels and get your five serves of veggie day as well yeah 100 yeah. and yeah. that's a good that's a really good segue steph well done 
(laughs) (laughs) So for all those playing at home today, as I've already alluded to, Steph is an expert in endometriosis and we are going to deep dive into microbiota and endometriosis and Mm -hmm. what the connection is between the two. So when we're talking about microbiota, and fact check me on this, Steph, but we're talking about the population of bacteria and the environment of our gut, Mm -hmm. so gut health. So how does our gut health as women influence endometriosis and is it chicken and the egg like how does it go do you have particular gut health issues and and or complications and that results in endometriosis or is it in you get some endometriosis and then that's influencing the change in microbiota isn't and and is it cyclical how how does that do so Mm -hmm. let's let's set the stage first can you briefly just um explain what is endometriosis and the typical kind of symptoms that that might occur for those who aren't familiar with your work or haven't um, listened to your previous podcasts here on the science of motherhood can you just briefly explain endo mm, yep so I suppose I love your um I, I breathing like I am a dietitian so I know endo and a dietitian context mm-hmm. and dietary context obviously endometriosis is a very multidisciplinary so all these different things about endo need and and healthcare need to be considered which are def I'm definitely not an expert in and I'm not um you know I'm just focusing on the dietetic side of things yeah. and I'm not a biologist either so um I know I know about the microbiota but like I'm not going to go, you know, be. We're not going to go too heavy on the science. Too heavy. We're yeah. here to yes, we're yes. here to demyth just and debust. Yes, I just <laughs> wanted to, to to say that. Okay, so endometriosis is when the endometrial tissue grows outside of the um, endometrial lining, and so it, sometimes it can these cells can grow around the ovaries. They can grow around on the outside of the uterus. They can grow on the fallopian tubes. They can grow on the bladder on the colon, sometimes in the, um, at the end of the colon, um, but that's mostly where they are found. But in some rare cases, they can also be, to be honest, found in the, the whole body. So some literature papers say it's gynecological condition, but actually I think more and more we're finding that it's not just a gynecological condition because sometimes it's found in the brain or the lungs or the diaphragm. Yeah, so kidneys, things like that. So it's it can grow to other places. Now, some symptoms. Um, well, actually, symptoms don't correlate with how severe the endometriosis may be presenting in someone. So basically, the severity is associated with how or how how where it has grown, and it goes from stages four to one. Sorry, one to four. There's sometimes one to five. Um, there's talk that it can be a, um, a fifth um, rating stage. But basically, some women with stage one, which is hasn't grown as much, have experienced a really bad pelvic pain, and you know can be quite debilitating. Whereas some people with stage four don't experience any pain, and so we don't really know why that is. So that can really make it a bit hard to get diagnosis, and people present with different conditions, or different symptoms, sorry, and what they experience, and um, that's one of the reasons why sometimes endometriosis can be. It can take a while um, to to get diagnosed. The 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 pain though, or the, or the other so symptoms. Sorry, pain is just one of them. There are many symptoms that women with endometriosis may experience. So, as we just discussed, 
some women might not have any symptoms and some people um, don't have, they, they don't even know that they have endometriosis basically. Whilst common symptoms though can be um, pain during menstruation, but pain not where it's just, you know, oh, I'm feeling a bit bloated or I'm just maybe a little bit sore or a bit tender. This is like, um, no, it's actually affecting my day. It's affecting my week. I can't function. I can't even, um, I just need to not move on the couch and heat packs and it's reoccurring, you know, month after month. So it's debilitating. Although what that debilitating thing is, it depends on the person. And so we call, and that's period pain, or we call period pain dysmenorrhea. Okay. Then there's also pain with um, going to the bathroom, whether it's um, doing number twos or defecating or doing poo, basically. That movement can be quite very, very painful. Um, or else it could also be, and that's when normally when there's endometriosis in the bowels. Mm. And then there's, there can also be pain whilst you are urinating. So that's when the um, endo can be around the bladder. Um, and so it's kind of like, yeah, really kind of stinging, hot feeling. Then there's it can be also pain during sex, sexual pain, whether it's, you know, at the beginning um, of penetration or maybe deep into penetration, depending on, again, where the endo is. And there could also be other symptoms. So because of endo and how it is and infl- the inflammation and what it brings, um, there can be sometimes some infertility. Sometimes because of the inflammatory condition as well, there can we think anyway, it's because it can lead to kind of that what many people experience, which is endo belly, so bloating and uh, just IBS kind of symptoms. Mm-hmm. So yeah, gas and and mixture of diarrhea, constipation, or both. Some women as well also experience nausea, not just you know not after just eating something, but randomly in the day, and that can get worse over time, and obviously also can be debilitating and a lot of fatigue generally a lot of fatigue again that varies probably depending on the time of the month um but also what you're doing if you're allowing your body to rest and how and how extensive the endo is but fatigue is a big one Mm. Um, and then because of all that sometimes you know changes in mental health or how well you're doing mentally you know if if you can't function well that can also impact your emotions and quality of life so that's also something to consider as well but they're generally one of the main things that people um, report with endo and yeah I suppose the reason for this as well the etiology of why endo comes about we don't really know there are a few reasons why with the the most commonly cited probably the the oldest one as well but one that we think isn't isn't really the only one anymore is um, retrograde menstruation so basically the menstruation goes back up the fallopian tubes and then out um, outside of the um, you don't have uh, the endometrium but it doesn't really explain many things or some of the symptoms mm. or the reasons why some things for endometriosis happen. Yeah. And it, we also, sorry. And it, it's my understanding is that it affects quite a large proportion of, of women. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons that it is not diagnosed for such a long time is because the symptoms, some would argue, I think, are perpetuated back onto the patient as if that's normal. Like mm. it's normal to have period pain, it's normal to be bloated, yes. you know, things like that. And yeah. not until perhaps you start to have fertility issues or something like mm. that that people recognise mm. that there is something else going on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I can't I can't express enough that 
we or you know your body as much as you do. No one else does. So if you have this gut, feel, gut feeling of yeah, pardon this, the pun, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know something's not right. You know, keep on trying. Go to another doctor. Go try to find a doctor who maybe has some women health, women's health specialities. Um, and if you can't, just keep on going from doctor to doctor, or basically demand a referral to a gynecologist, just to really get. Um, t- tests or investigations done it's it's really important I, I I'm in this space and I had to really advocate for myself as well my first I one of the times well, there were many couple of times that I went to the GP and was dismissed but one of the times was I was I was training for doing some running and after a certain point all the time you know the pelvic pain would be so bad that I'd want to vomit and it was horrendous pain and I knew something was wrong but they just told me it was tight muscles, which it probably was tight muscles as well, contributing, mm. but it wasn't the only thing. And then I went, I got scans and one of the another GP, he, he basically just looked at the scans, saying whilst I was waiting for him to tell me what the scan said and then asked me if I've ever used a heat pack before and, you know, to try a heat pack. And, um, you know, there's so many examples of this, but oh, that's yeah. just one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And um, yeah, you know. Thank, so, thank you, patriarchy. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Did you kindly it, tell it, him where he could like shove it. his heat pack, Steph? <laughs> I um, said, I think we're done here. <laughs> um, to be honest, and, and I think he was relieved that I left. Actually, um, yeah. I think. I think. In all fairness, though, you know, there is better awareness about endometriosis. I think. I think all health professionals are getting a better understanding. And women as well about, and men really aware about the condition, but there's still a long way to go. But we are getting better. Mm. You just, you know, we also still need to advocate if we need, if we think something's wrong. Yeah. With endo or really anything. Yeah. You know, we know, as I said, we know our own bodies. So 100%. I could not have, yeah, you know your body best. 100%. Mm -hmm. Like push, push, push. If you think there's something wrong, I had um, a similar kind of, not with endo, but I would, I was constantly getting pain in my breast mm. and I was like, there's something, something not quite right. And the doctor wasn't dismissive as such, but she, she was kind of like, oh, well, you know, it's around the time of your period. So maybe it's just, you know, you've got tender breasts and things like that. And I was like, mm, yeah, but this feels different. And she said to me, okay, we'll just see how you go for a week. And, you know, come back. She couldn't feel anything. She did an exam and all that kind of stuff. And then in the end, um, I came back because I was like, no, something's not quite right. And I went and got a scan and they found a small cyst. And they were like, oh, yep, absolutely. Like it's very small, but similar to endo, the size is not indicative Mm -hmm. of how the pain would actually Mm -hmm. be, the level of pain. Mm -hmm. So she said, you know, and it was right on you know the bra line so you know depending on what bra I had on and all that kind of stuff again but after that it was just peace of mind for me to go Mm -hmm. yes there was something Mm -hmm. not quite right and she said the cyst may come and go as well like it just you know it is what it is so yes ladies check yourselves out okay if something is not quite right don't take no for an answer and that goes for you and your family particularly bubbers as well Mm -hmm. because we know best so we have set the scene Steph. endo we know what we're looking for let's talk about 
how the microbiota and endometriosis are connected because I am fascinated mm-hmm. by all of this. Yes. Um, for all those playing at home, I've got a PhD in biochemistry and immunology. And so I have been obsessed with a microbiome and the microbiota for a very long time, so much so. <laughs> and I spoke to Steph about this very briefly off air. My husband has had, let's just say, gastrointestinal issues for quite some time and we could never work out what was going on. And I said to him, you need to go get tested and we need to work out what's going on. And there was this amazing company from that's in Australia mm-hmm. and this is not sponsored by any way, but it should be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're, they're called Microba Australia. And what you do is you essentially go take a poo and you get this little kit and it has like a almost like a, a long, long cotton bud and you just kind of like dip the cotton bud tip into the poo and then you send the sample off and they give you a full analysis of your gut microbiota. So it's all the bacteria, the good, the bad, the ugly, what proportion they're in, what do they do, and they also give you a full analysis of recommendations of like these ones are in low population so this may be indicative of this health issue so if you want to increase that population of bacteria then we highly recommend that you start Mm. consuming these types of foods Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. oh my goodness I was just so fascinated when the report came in it's like a 50 something page report very I was like, oh, my God. Like I just went into like science nerd mode and I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And my husband's just like, just t- just give me the long and the short of it. Like I, <laughs> I, I don't need to know the details. But it was so fascinating. And so now I am equally obsessed when we were talking um, a month or two ago when you are like, let's talk about endo and the microbiota. And I was like, yeah, girl, let's, yes. let's do that. <laughs> That's really good timing. But and how did you how did how did he find it? He he was essentially told that he needed to consume more vegetables. He needed to he needed to tone it down on the red meat and mm-hmm. increase his oh god what's the what's the fiber from like green bananas called? It's like that the oh gosh what's it called? I'm gonna Google it. Green flour. A green flower, green banana flower, Renee. What am I talking about? Green banana flower fiber. There's like a, what are the different types of of fiber, Steph? Like soluble fiber, insoluble fiber, and starch. But that would be uh, soluble fiber. Oh, cold. It's like the, oh, resistant starch. (laughs) That's the the phrase I'm (laughs) looking for. So, yes, starch. But it's the resistant yeah. starch, so it, it it virtually can't be broken down. Is, is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's the amylase yes, yeah. resistant starch. That's right, amylase. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it, that's actually, yeah, so you can buy it in the, in the banana. Also, it's a really good source in potatoes, so the skin of potatoes. Yes. And particularly when you cook them, cool them, and then that's eat them again. That's right, cool <laughs> potatoes. That blew my mind. I was like, say what? Um, so yeah I was like so you need to cook your potato but then you need to cool it and only then may you consume it and my husband was like 
oh my God, are you serious? And I was like, mm. yes, that is it's the resistant starch part. Yes. And he was like, oh, okay then. So, so we got some green banana flour in the house. So I've been at, so if we have, we do pancakes on the weekend, okay, but I've yeah, been yeah. adding, because normally our pancake recipe is like two cups of flour. So normally I do like half self-raising, half mm-hmm. spelt, but I've been putting in, like taking out half a cup of the self-raising oh, yes, and putting in half a cup of the green banana mm. flour. I can't go all. Oh, good now. Pardon? Does it change the texture? Does it, it, does it taste It good? does. It does change the texture, but not, I, I don't think I would venture past the half cup. So there's two cups in total of flour. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go past half a cup of green banana. It becomes mm. a bit too dense and a bit, mm. you know what I mean? You know when you cook mm. chicken breast and it yeah. goes a bit in and there? It's yeah. like hard. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, but but for the, all those playing at home, if you need to increase your resistant starch, yeah. green banana flour, you can just get it at Woolies. Again, not sponsored, but should be. So, yes, that is. <gasps> I what, have no idea. You can, get, can you get that from, from Woolies? Oh, yeah. That's oh, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Woolies has got like a really good range of different flours that I have discovered because. because my husband, we've we've gone through like everything, like FODMAP, gluten intolerance, blah, blah, like all the things. We've explored all the things. And that's why I was like, okay, let's just get let's your poo sampled. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so <laughs> that's my personal experience with <laughs> yeah. microbiota. But do you want to talk to us? So what do they think is happening with that connection? Mm. Like what's going on yeah. there? And again, is it chicken and the egg? Is one happening before the other? So this is a really good question and to be honest, still to be answered. So in a nutshell, with any um, chronic inflammatory condition like endometriosis, that part, the inflammation, means that there are um, different proteins and markers in the um, abdominal cavity as well as in the uterus that are giving that are leading to inflammation. And in a way, they kind of also self-feed. So mm. the more inflammation you have, the less or downgrade of the proteins that are anti-inflammatory and more of those pro-inflammatory markers that increase. So they're kind of like it's a snowball effect. Yeah, We think that actually having this is one of the reasons, maybe a, contributor, a contributing factor to endometriosis itself because mm. we think now that Endometriosis comes on because it's multidisciplinary. Yeah. Oh, sorry, multifactorial, sorry. So yeah, genetics as well, for example, might play a role. But then we also think that having inflammation also make can make and contribute to to changes in the gut microbiota itself. So it's again, it's a chicken and the egg thing, but we just don't know what comes first. Um, and probably, you know, thinking logically that it's different for each person depending on their circumstance and and time in their life up to a certain point that they realize that they have endometriosis, right? So obviously the microbiome is really from a whole gastrointestinal tract, but most of it is present in our colon or in our large intestine. And what happens is that this dysbiosis occurs. So it doesn't just happen overnight. It takes a a while, but um, changes in microbiota can happen within hours, you know. Mm But dysbiosis takes a bit of time. Normally, it can takes I pause? About... What can you explain? What dysbiosis is? Because I think oh, that's yes. important. 
Yeah, so it's an impairment or there's an imbalance of the gut microflora that's present. So basically there's more pathogenic bacteria which causes inflammation and we know it's been associated with disease Mm -hmm. compared to the good bacteria. You know, so, so not a lot of probiotics. Yes. So that was so that was what I was going to say. So for all those playing at home, it's kind of like that classic thing where you get put on like a like a really strong antibiotic for whatever reason, mm. and then your GP or your health professional might say, "Come in and supplement with some probiotics, some probiotics. afterwards." Yeah. And yeah. in fact, that's something that I routinely do. Like if we've had like if we've had gastro. I come in with the probiotics mm-hmm. afterwards mm-hmm. because I definitely know that about two weeks later we'll get, start to... we'll get a bit sick for whatever sick, reason, yeah. like there'll mm-hmm. just be something not quite right in mm-hmm. our family. Mm-hmm. So, yes, mm-hmm. thank you for explaining dysbiosis. That's mm-hmm. good because mm-hmm. that was one of my questions yeah. that I was going to ask. That's the, yeah, I also wanted to, because with the probiotics, I just wanted to say that for anyone taking probiotics, first of all, the probiotics are great. Um, but they also are lab-based. So whatever is in that tablet yeah. is what we know about is what we can make, right? So it's nothing like the variety or all those other bacteria that we don't know about yet. Mm. So it, that comes in food. Um, so it's always good to have probiotics both in tablet form mm-hmm. but also in food form if you can. So like yogurts and fermented foods and miso, for example. And sauerkraut, sauerkraut is my favourite. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For those, for example, but also it's really important to have the prebiotics whenever you're having any of these. So this is what's the, the difference? Food. It's basically the food for the bacteria. So it's basically like your husband Renee. It's like the veggies that he needs to have <laughs> and starch and stuff like that. You know? Okay. Um, yeah, fruit, veggies, um, which is all the soluble, insoluble, and resistant starch. So the bacteria can actually survive. Um, and grow probably at a faster rate than if it didn't have that. So if you're taking probiotic already, mm-hmm. anyone listening, it's important that you have enough fruit and veg and you no know, complex carbohydrates like not pro- unprocessed grains and stuff like that because that will ha- actually work really well with your probiotics mm-hmm. and make it much more efficient and beneficial. Gotcha. So the probiotics yeah. are the strains of bacteria that we've That's cultured right. in the lab yes. and the prebiotics yeah. are the food that is going to help sustain the good bacteria and make sure that mm. they're happy and peaches and cream and healthy yeah, yeah and eating well yeah okay yeah, good because yeah. i think that yeah. sometimes people don't understand well you know mm. people don't understand what they mm-hmm. are and what the difference is and how they mm-hmm. all work together okay mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so so there's that and then there's also another another thing that we've found so just to recap I mean, endometriosis itself can induce changes in gut microflora to include to lead to dysbiosis, but dysbiosis in itself can possibly also induce endometriosis. Mm. Now, this is because dysbiosis, so there's an increase in pathogen bacteria, so the bad stuff, the bad microbes, which has been associated with disease in gen- many other diseases, including eczema, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the there's many other conditions though with basically the the pathogens themselves secrete um, inflammatory markers it also they also um, can also change like immune cell function and together this also can lead to endo also there is bacteria that is that actually controls hormone change Mm -hmm. and so because endometriosis isn't tends to be have increased estrogen in the body there is these pathogenic bacteria that can 
promote even more estrogen. And so there's just an excess of estrogen being made. And so there's an imbalance. And that can also itself be one of the reasons why endo comes about mm. as well. So that's kind of a very like over that's a bit, top. Yeah. It's top level, but I think it's very interesting. And like it makes sense. Like we're not isolated mm-hmm. test tubes. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many mm-hmm. different things that mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. are going on yeah. in yeah. in mm-hmm. our bodies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we've got yeah like this kind of immune dysregulation let's call it um going on and so does that then form like a this kind of chronic state of inflammation exactly. which is just exactly and and, and yeah. as you were saying everything's got like a feedback loop particularly mm-hmm. with the immune system <laughs> you know like one thing informs another and it's just a cascade of events that, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. go on it is a cascade exactly yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. and so yeah. obviously it can't it can't get out of that loop like is it things that just keep running keep running keep they running keep on running exactly exactly so so the bacteria really in our gut right is a not only does it regulate hormones and appetite etc it also is a a barrier mm. is, a, is an immune barrier so when there is dysbiosis there is that healthy barrier that was is impaired which means that our immune system is lower um, and basically, things can come getting in, um, into the into the wall and into into our circulating system. Yeah, and those inflammatory, yeah, again markers, and that can lead to to changes in in disease and condition, and yeah, uh, poor immune function. So we're more likely as well just to get sick, and that probably leads to the fatigue, etc. Yeah, but um, yeah, what we do know is that in terms of um, what's possible or what's good sorry to be uh to, to that you want you want more lactobacilli generally mm-hmm. um and you want less of the bifidobacterium is there any uh, particular strains that you know of with the lactobacillus the, i'm really putting you on the spot now <laughs> you are putting me on the spot there, i know there are i'm um, there's like this awesome review that came out in 2021 last year um but we can we can, I was gonna say if you don't know off the off the top of your um head I let email it to me and I'll mention it in the um uh, in the introduction but I'm very mm-hmm. curious to know about that because another thing that I'll mention to the listeners is you need to be clear with you know the particular strains because each of them do something individually and so, for example, one of the, like, you know, one of the leading probiotics for mastitis is the Chiara probiotic, which mm-hmm. a lot of women take for the prevention and treatment of mm-hmm. mastitis mm-hmm. because it has been shown, and I've read the articles mm-hmm. and the patents and all the rest of it, mm-hmm. it's it's great in the mastitis kind of mm-hmm. treatment mm-hmm. and prevention. Yes, but that exact same strain is not necessarily going to be beneficial for the prevention and treatment of, say, upper respiratory tract infections mm-hmm, mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that. Yes, so, yeah. I, like you know, being on this podcast, I've, I just want to preach to people: don't just walk into a pharmacy and say, "Can I get a probiotic?" <laughs> because it's it depends what you want yes. it to do, right? And, and specific yes. things of 
have got different indications and have been tested for, you know, specific diseases and, mm-hmm. and things like that. But mm-hmm. I am curious to know, Steph, so obviously there was a paper last year and we'll find out those details for the listeners, mm-hmm. but if someone was to go get tested, if someone thought I've got endo or they don't know that they've got endo, either way, what are the types of things that they could be looking for if they were to get tested? Say they went and got one of these microba Australia tests and did a poo sample, you know, are there particular, obviously there's particular strains, but what type of food, like, would you recommend? To eat to help reduce endo symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. So generally speaking with endometriosis, because it is an inflammatory condition and this also induces all those changes in immune, immune responses and hormone changes and Etc. Um, we want to try and, and follow what we call it like an anti-inflammatory diet. I'm so I'm sure most people have heard about that. So what that um, normally is is like a plant-based diet or maybe a Mediterranean-based diet. What these have in common is that it's predominantly fruit and vegetables with minimal processed foods, right? Minimal processed meats. It still includes some dairy. It still includes some red meat, but um, organic if possible, always for everything actually with endo. Why is that? Because of the toxicity of the pesticides? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, always washing. Obviously the pesticides, you know, pesticides aren't bad Mm. um, and they are like we have them in a range that is good from a general health perspective, from a population health perspective. But when you are compromised in your immune function and, and how your body is working, you do, we don't need extra. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, but, you know, that's if you can. It's not the most important thing in the world. That's a bit of a cherry on top if you can afford that organic option. So really having, uh, sorry, with plant-based doesn't mean you have to go vegan either. It can, as I said, include um, animal products. Mm-hmm. It's a real range. Okay. So really having more than five serves of veg a day, because again, because of the underlying inflammatory state, we normally um, studies show that women need about even seven serves of vegetables a day rather than the five. So sometimes, yeah, it's, it's really good to, that's why I have soups, et cetera, because it very quickly <laughs> increases vegetable intake. Yeah. But I don't mash it. I don't like, pulse it or anything like that because I try to keep it as whole with all the fiber as much as possible gotcha. so they can digest so we need heaps of fruit and vegetables but and and um like plant-based proteins like tofu for example which a lot of women with endo think no it's not good but um actually the phytoestrogens in them can be good for endo um as long as it is not the main source of protein so if you were having you know soy milk all the time and you're having tofu and tempeh all the time then no, it's not good. To you. But we need to. We, what we know now is that we need a very large amount of the of those of that soy to impact endo. But if you're having you know three times a week with predominantly having soy milk, it, it it's not bad. It's mm-hmm. actually okay. Having a lot of lentils and legumes, um, having lean red meat, about two to no more than two to three times a week, and everything you know being washed etc. as well, and having some grains as well. But then, so that's so that's pretty much like a whole food diet, really, really not processed. You know, kind of thinking about if your grandmother didn't eat it, one of that, you know, one of those things. If your yeah. grandmother didn't eat it, then don't have it. Yeah. But then, when we have a lot of that, I pretty much IBS, you know, that bloating, um, gas, which comes a lot with endo. 
we need to alter those types of foods. So generally speaking, the red meat, the protein is okay as long as it's not dominant in our in our diet. We can keep that. Um, but sometimes the fruit and vegetables that we eat sometimes need to be altered. So fruit and vegetables or any every product, um, particularly that has carbohydrates and it, naturally producing and healthy to have, like in in the food has different carbs, carbohydrate that because of the changes in the or because of the dysbiosis isn't being broken down as it should be. And there's also changes in enzymes across the whole gastrointestinal tract that should be helping to break down these carbohydrates that maybe are not there. Then coupled with stress and the inflammation itself and it's all all working together. These carbs like for example fructose and lactose and lacto-oligosaccharides, for example, they don't get broken down. So they get into the colon the bacteria, particularly the bad bacteria, use it as a as a byproduct. Uh, sorry, as a as an eating like they, as food for them. Then they produce um, gas, and that can lead us to the bloating and, and gas in itself. Depending on the type of bacteria in the gut, that can also lead to um, constipation, diarrhea, or both. And so, altering and reducing what we call what you mentioned it before, Renee, the FODMAP um, mm. content, which is an acronym for the different types of carbs can help with helping uh, control or manage the dysbiosis. But if you're actually going to go on low, like a low FODMAP diet, sometimes is needed. So a bit more of a strict diet for about six weeks, six to eight weeks to follow kind of a low FODMAP intake. Other, other, a lot of women that I see, they don't need to go on a low FODMAP diet. They just need to alter some of their intake um, to just reduce the load slightly in kind of the, the main, like through their diet, I can see, you know, there's kind of, FODMAP bombs maybe taking place <laughs> across the day and we can just swap yeah <laughs> but What's a, a big FODMAP well. bomb consists of uh, yeah. like three like, three like apples ap- or something i'm just trying exactly, to recall like apples or pears or onions and garlic yeah those types of um heaps of avocado those types of, yeah um like dried fruits or um, dried apricots these types of things yeah uh, diet um gum or diet um products as well Oh, um, that's interesting. Yeah, they're a big one. Yeah, they have a lot of um of uh, um like alcohol based sugars, basically all different types actually of alcohol based sugars. Yeah, um, but a key thing to consider is that it's not about not having these foods anytime. It's about serving size and reducing the amount that you're having. So it's not really a black and white approach because mm. we still want to have a good relationship with food, and we still want to enjoy this food. So. Um, the, the good thing is as well is that the bacteria can start to change and you can introduce these foods, you know, within a few weeks to, you know, up to three months' time. Um, and it just because you can tolerate X amount of a, of a food now doesn't mean you won't, this is the end, you know, that's it for the rest of your life. Like the bacteria will change and your gut will adapt. Um, so that's the important thing. Also to always have probiotics, so both through food and through supplementation. Um, at the same time is actually really important to be drinking enough to reduce irritants like deep fried foods and spice and coffee some yeah that's definitely fun to to, you know eating well (coughs) eating regularly all these kind of other things we need to consider and then we also need to consider stress you know and how active someone is Um, so these are all the things that need to be considered and looked at absolutely it's such a as you said it's such a multifactorial disorder so it's mm-hmm. no not surprising you asked me as well renee about you know what what strains or what's good i don't know exactly the lacto 
bacillus strains. I actually don't think there's too much too much evidence on that detail as as such in endo. But I just wanted to correct myself because I said we want to limit bifidobacterium. No, we don't. Lactobacillus is actually what we want. It's the most dominant um, in healthy women. But also then there's the 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 Garnerella. Then there's bifidobacterium as well. Streptococcus and Provotella are all different types broad of bacteria that are good. But things that maybe don't want are things like um, bacteroids. Apparently it's been associated um, with kind of gynecological conditions as well. That's so, interesting. And vaginosis as well. Oh, yes, absolutely. I And this is the thing, though, like this is very new research. <laughs> and as you'll know, women's health um, research is not widely, <laughs> widely studied because we're such complex creatures because mm-hmm. of all of our hormones and, and things like that. So... I think, as you say, like, you know, going full circle, I think health professionals are becoming more attuned to conditions like endometriosis. And so hopefully we start to see a bit of a shift in not only healthcare practices but also science. And I've got this vague memory that a ton of money was put towards Endometriosis.Yeah.Yeah.Yeah.Yeah.Yeah.Yeah.Yeah.Yeah.Yeah.Yeah.Yeah.Yeah.Yeah.Yeah.Yeah.Yeah.Yeah.Yeah.Ye
maybe I could be part of that 12%. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Steph, we're going to wrap up, but any final recommendations or anything like that? If someone wants to come and speak to you about endo and diet mm. and things like that, where can we mm-hmm. find you? Yeah. So I help women with whether they suspect they have endometriosis, whether they have pelvic pain, whether they have IBS, whether they have also PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, maybe they're thinking about conceiving soon or also during pregnancy or even postpartum. Um, I see women at the moment online, but I will also be in person as of next year. Um, but the people uh, people can go to www.womanly, W-O-M-A-N-L-Y, N-D, and yeah, which stands for nutrition and dietetics.com. Um, people can also message me through my Instagram, womanly underscore N-D. Um, and through the website, you can book in directly with me or you can just send me um, uh, like a little inquiry or a little form. You can also book in like a 10-minute call just to have a bit of a chat, see if, you know, you want to work with me and how can I help you and if you have any questions. There's also a frequently asked question page on my website. There's some recipes. Mm, good recipes. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah if anyway that's that's where my my passion is really trying to help women um improve their quality of life through through nutrition and some sometimes supplements if needed which because of that underlying inflammatory markers taking place sometimes that additional help is needed mm, supplements absolutely yeah. and we'll have all of your details in the show notes as well but thank you again for joining me as always pleasure um, it's always a pleasure with you. Thank you and indulging um, into my obsession of the microbiota. <laughs> Thanks, Renee. Yes, yes. Oh, we just need to. Oh, yeah, it would be great. I think it's a really fascinating area. There's more and more information coming out. Like it's you know before we thought, oh no, the 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 inside, you know, the 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 tract and the um the the cervical tract of a woman is is sterile but now like oh there's heaps of bacteria now and now we're finding that actually the upper tract is is different to lower tract in terms of bacteria which now we're thinking like a bit of a nadar moment but you know for ages we thought there there's no bacteria there it's just sterile and so it's just yeah it's a it's a really fascinating area even you know should we give probiotics through the mouth or should we give probiotics through the um, vaginal administration which one is better and mm. how does it affect it all these things so um watch this space i think but these are all yeah it's important but what how bacteria is in our gut has a massive impact on our health so we do definitely need to consider it amazing but thank you renee thanks for everyone and for um, listening hope it was informed awesome. informative thanks for that steph see ya thanks renee. bye If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services including our postpartum in-home care and our fill your freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.